Your day has just begun. Yeah! But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah! Hashtag Utah Jazz. Beverly's going to inbound baseline far side. Get it in George. Corner jumper on the way. Oh, Paul George. The moonshot goes. PG-13 finds nothing but nylon from just inside the arc. Right to left, Leonard into the front court. Down the middle of the lane off the Zubas screen. Right elbow jumper fading away. Oh, Kawhi Leonard is a machine. George on the right wing. Down the middle of the lane on Bogdanovich. Backing down now at the dotted line. Free throw line jumper on the way. It rolls down. PG-13 with a shooter's bounce. Well, the Jazz lost to the Clippers Friday night, 116-112. That's the end of a nine-game win streak. Time to start another one. That's what we said after the 11-game win streak, and then they did it. They get the Charlotte Hornets tonight, who are game under 500. Gordon Hayward's back. PK, got a couple things you'd like to say about the Clippers. Put that game to rest and then look ahead to a busy week. That was a fun game. You know, the guys said it was a playoff atmosphere, and the and a lot of intensity, and the Clippers were close to full strength. Kennard didn't play, but their big guns played, and they played well, and they were obviously up for that game, and it showed because they turned around and then lost to the Miami Heat. Jazz and Hornets tonight. We'll get to more on the Clippers. We've got a lot of you. Uh, question of the day, near full strength Clippers beat the Jazz. Who among you is in the I told you so crowd? We'll get to that coming up. Also, the Jazz and Hornets tonight. Gordon Hayward is back. Zone Network coverage begins at 6 o'clock with the Jazz game night, the pregame show. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Brooklyn Nets beat the Clippers, so the Clippers are now three games behind the Jazz, 112-108. Clippers came from 15 down in the fourth quarter, tied the game up. PK, an offensive foul. They're normally swallowing the whistle with eight seconds to go. And Kawhi Leonard got called for an offensive foul for wiping away James Harden, who definitely sold it. So you didn't think the call should have been made? Is that what you're saying? No, I didn't, actually. I thought that was a total no-call down the stretch. And honestly, I thought that could have been a no-call in the middle of the game. How about the beginning? Definitely a no-call then. (laughs) I thought it was interesting that uh, Kawhi, or, uh, Paul George was on a minutes restriction. They wouldn't let him go 35, so they sat him down at 33. Well, if that's the case, then Ty Lue has got to figure out a way where he's rested earlier so he's able to play at the end of the game. That was really funky. Unless you don't want him to play at the end of the game because he's not really good at the end of the game. Well, then you're not going to win anything if that's the case. I think, I think a lot of people believe you have just spoken truth right there. Really? Harden, well, why, third, would we, why would we obsess about the Jazz and Clippers then if Paul George isn't going to be in at the end of the game? He will be. But if he's not good enough to be in the end of the game, whether he's in there or not... Then they won't get it done. Right. So then why it, They might get him? it done in an early series, but they won't get it done. Somebody will get them, whether it's the Jazz or it's the Lakers or it's the Nets or whoever. Well, sure. If you're going to take the Clippers versus the league, you're probably going to uh, 
lose that bet. If you take the league versus the Clippers, you're probably going to win that bet. James Harden, 37 points, 11 rebounds, 7 assists. Durant didn't play. He's missed uh, four games in a row now. But that was a great road trip for the Nets. They swept all five on a Western swing. They played the four California teams and the Phoenix Suns. They beat the Suns. That's the Suns' only loss in the last eight games. And the Nets now have won uh, eight in a row against the West. So while most of the East might be stinking it up, are the Nets a legit threat to win it all? Eight straight games, eight straight wins against the West since regular season, but that's got to stand for something. Oh, if that's your question you're asking me, absolutely they're a threat to yep. win it all. When you've got that much talent, there's no question you're a threat to win it all. Yeah, and they did most of that trip without Durant, so it's an awfully big piece of the puzzle right there. Kyrie Irving had 28-8 in that win last night. Elsewhere in the NBA, the Hawks beat the Nuggets 123-115. to The Nuggets continue with the two steps forward, three steps back, one step forward, two steps back all over the place. Trey Young outdueled Jamal Murray. 35 points, 15 assists, and Atlanta gets the win. Denver or Dallas, most disappointing team in the West right now? Oh, Denver all the way. Denver sitting in seventh place in the West now. 16 and 14, just a couple Yeah, of I, I told you it was pointless to worry about what happened in the freaking bubble with those guys. Elsewhere in the NBA, Raptors beat the Sixers. The final score, 110-103. Fred Van Vliet leading the way, 23-9. With the Nets winning, the Sixers losing. The Sixers are now just a half game in front of the Nets in the race for the best record in the Eastern Conference. Seems inevitable, doesn't it, PK, that the Nets are going to be on top in the East. Uh, in my mind, they already are. Pelicans beat the Celtics in OT, 121-15. Pelicans were down 24. They completed the largest comeback in franchise history to win that game in OT. Amazing. Minnesota Timberwolves fired head coach Ryan Saunders after the loss to the Knicks, dropped them to an NBA worst 7-24. Franchise locking in on finalizing a deal with Toronto Raptors assistant Chris Finch to become the Timberwolves' new head coach. They'll reportedly assume the role tomorrow while keeping the team's assistant coaching staff in place. Now what? We only have three sons of former NBA head coaches who are head coaches in the NBA? Can I name them? I don't think I can. I probably should be able to. Bickerstaff comes to mind immediately. Well, you just spoke of one team extensively. Now I've got to run back through which team it was I was speaking about extensively. The Nets. Nope, that's just say, ask me if they were uh, the most disappointing team. Ah, the Nuggets. I'm gonna say Mike Malone. Malone, yes. And who's the third one? A Silas. Yes, there you go. Houston. DJ and PK. Hashtag College Basketball. Long time ago, Dave Rose was on our show, former BYU basketball coach, and at the end he told us, you got a nice thing going here, don't mess it up. That solid advice for BYU seems to have played themselves into a, a nice spot in the NCAA tournament. Of course, you can't mess it up by losing on the road in the West Coast Conference. And they didn't even come close to messing it up. They handled Saturday's game in Loyola as well as they could have. They were up 13-2, 20 in the first half, 30 in the second half. 
Loyola scored the last 15 points of the game so that they only lost by 17. It's a dominating performance. BYU should be much better, and they were much better. Yeah, I mean, that's classic West Coast Conference. Those teams have no interest in competing in basketball, and they don't. BYU improves to 17-5 and on the year, 8-3 and in the league, coming home for a couple games this week. Utah, a couple of late turnovers, played much better against Oregon than they did against Oregon State, but Oregon's a better team and had just enough to beat them 67-64. Game was tied late, Utes had leads at spots late, but Oregon gets out of there with the win. 9-10 and 10 for the Utes, they dropped below 500. That was pretty frustrating for those guys, PK. It was right there for the taking. It's been that way for a few games, and they, they couldn't get it done. I mean, they had a couple guys missing that are integral to their lineup, and so that makes them not nearly as good. So, I mean, at least they competed hard and gave them something, unlike against Oregon State. So I could live with that. I know it's disappointing for you fans. are all in a ball of frustration because their once pretty impressive program is obviously mediocre now. Utah State on the verge of going to the NCAA tournament, but those were two difficult losses at Boise State. Again, very similar deal. They were down one with five minutes to go when they played Wednesday and Friday. They were tied with three minutes to go, but the Broncos made the big plays at the end of the game and eked out an 81-78 win. So the Aggies get swept 14-7 overall, 11-4 in conference. There's four good teams at the top of that conference that could go, PK, but I don't think all four of them go, and those two losses put the Aggies at risk of getting squeezed out. It's going to be pretty interesting down the stretch here. They're going to have some big games to play. Well, you follow Joe Lenardi and let me know what he says. Okay, I will. <laughs> Big Sky, Southern Utah, and Weber State battling for second in the conference, and they both got their sweep. Southern Utah by 20 over Sac State. Weber State by 22 over your Northern Arizona Lumberjacks. So they roll. And UVU lost to New Mexico State. Dixie State split with Tarleton State. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. Carson Wentz bids farewell to Philly. A lengthy Instagram post called his five years with the Eagles an amazing journey. Also said as one chapter ends, another one begins. He's going to be an Indianapolis Colt. An agreed upon trade. They've got the start of the new NFL year, so everything kind of gets held up for that. But when we see football again, he'll be wearing a horseshoe in blue and white. Guess he had time to... If there was going to be an outburst, PK, he didn't let it happen. If he had an outburst, it was behind closed doors. Frustration, whatever. At least he's going to another decent team. They were a playoff team, so there's hope there. Yeah, I don't see why there would be any reason for an outburst. Eagles released Deshaun Jackson. Joined the team in 2019 after being acquired for the Bucks. Reunited with the team who drafted him in 2008. 13 years in the NFL, that's a long run. Yeah. Assuming it's over now. See if someone else picks him up or if he's all done. Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes, his fiance Brittany Matthews, announced the birth of their first child. Sterling Sky Mahomes, 6 pounds, 11-ounce girl, born Saturday. Ooh, what? what his fiance? Yep. Mm, honor code. <laughs> Chiefs honor code. Andy <laughs> Reid might have to have a talk with him. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. 
Dodgers' Clayton Kershaw says he'll absolutely consider the possibility of re-signing with the team after his contract ends this season. Future Hall of Fame pitcher will turn 33 less than two weeks before opening day, and there's some thought he could retire after this year. Kershaw says, I'm on a year-to-year basis. I want to reevaluate at the end of every year and see how we're doing as a family, myself personally, where we are as a team, and then just make decisions from there. I have no intentions of hanging them up. I'm only 32. I feel like I have more years left in the tank. 32, I would think so, but I guess if you get asked the question, uh, give an answer that leaves your options open. Texas Rangers, watch out for them. He's a Dallas kid, and his uh, I think his, high, yeah, his wife is a high school gal that he knew from back then. She's from the area, obviously, so... Uh, you know, money talks at the same time. I don't think he's going to get in the 30-plus million that he's getting now. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if Texas made a little run for him. Big D, man. Get back to the Metroplex. Seattle Mariners president and CEO Kevin Mather apologized after his wide-ranging comments to a Rotary Club earlier this month's surface, calling his English-speaking capabilities of two members of the organization terrible and not tremendous. His comments were made to a Bellevue-Washington Rotary Club on February 5th were posted online over the weekend. Mariners not exactly piling up the winds under his stewardship. So, presidents and CEOs, they can be anonymous, but they can be pretty, uh, pretty important too. Think he's going to have to wear this in combination with their winning record or no? I have no idea what he's wearing here. I, I, I don't understand this story at all. He was negative about guys on the team behind closed doors. Well, he said that guys who didn't speak English well can't speak English well. I, I don't understand the story. Yeah, and he said that one guy uh, spoke English better after he told him he didn't want to pay for a $75,000 a year interpreter. Ooh, that's a decent gig. DJ and PK. Tony Finau, second playoff hole, and this to keep it going to a third. And this for a sand save par. Sends this on the way up to the cup, has a chance to fall and will not. And Max Homa has won the 2021 Genesis Invitational. Homa missed a three-footer at 18. He would have won it all. Instead, the California kid beats Finau in the second playoff hole. Max Homa is now part of the championship culture of the city of L.A. L.A. Kid wins at Riviera. Of course, referencing the Dodgers and Lakers. For Tony Finau, the West High Panther, a 64 on the final day. A whole bunch of birdies coming down the stretch. He did catch a huge break when Homa, who'd already birdied 17, almost birdied 18. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. That putt lipped out, but Homa gets it done. That shot from behind the tree was incredible, PK. Closing the club face and somehow whipping around that thing onto Uh, the green. Yeah, was it really behind or was it to the side, though? Seemed like a little bit of both. More to the side. More to the side. He was able to get the club in there, but I didn't think he could get the club in there with an angle to get the ball to to the green. green, That was a great shot. I mean, no matter where it was, it was still a good shot to get your point. But behind the tree would have been almost to the point of a trick shot unbelievable. Next to maybe would have been better. Yeah, yeah. Fino shot a 64 to get into that playoff, so... Pretty frustrating to play that well on Sunday and then get beat, but he's one in three in playoffs now. Well, he had to make that putt uh, on, what was it, the first overtime hole. I mean, if you want to win the tournament, you're going to have to make that putt. 
That was a chance simple, to do it, yep. Simple as that. It was a makeable putt. It's got to go down. And we hear this all the time, you know, we get, oh, man, he's, he's, he's due, he's right there, it's just a matter, it's like a broken record, though, it's Groundhog Day with this young, with this guy, and, and we get it, man, he's a phenomenal golfer, and he's made over 20 million, and he made a boatload yesterday, and he'll go on and compete, and most likely be there, and everybody in the state of Utah just roots for him, that's just so funny, man, he's got so much love here locally, and <laughs> Everyone is just a fan of his and so desperately wants him to win. But you you got to make the plays to go more in a sports vernacular. you got to make the shots. And in that case, you had to have made that putt. I don't know what other way to say it. Sure, I wanted him to make it too, just as much as everybody else. But you, you have to make that putt. And Homo was let off the hook. He was like the, who was it? The Vikings? Who was the... Who's Denny Green? No, the Bears. We let him off the hook with that famous Cardinals Randy and Bears, yeah. Yeah. We let him, I mean, homeless guy, he's three-footer and he doesn't make it. I mean, that's incredible. So he got fortunate. But Tony, and then it wasn't like it was a three-footer that he missed. What was it? How far did they uh, range it at? Was it eight feet, ten feet? I don't even remember. It's around ten feet, but, I think. Yeah, but he, you make that thing and you win. I can live with what happened on the next hole, but uh, the par three, but that... First one, got to make that putt. It was a golden opportunity right there. Yeah. All right, DJ PK, that is what is trending, and it is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, is going to join us coming up at 8 o'clock. Rick Bennell covers the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA for the Charlotte Observer. Jazz and Charlotte tonight. We will talk to Rick next. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. A woman was in the back country of Alaska and walked to the outhouse, sat down, and suddenly felt a bite on her butt. She screamed, looked down, and guess what was in there? A bear. A bear! In, in, in. That's kind of gross. You were entertaining this notion of traveling the country. But see, it's stories like this why I don't think you'd like it. Like outhouses to begin with. <laughs> I just don't think somebody used to the lifestyle that you're used to would function very well with outhouses and what is in said outhouse. I'll tell you one thing. <laughs> if a bear bit me in the butt, that would scare Scare the crap right out of me. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought you in part by Jerry Signer Cadillac. At Jerry Signer Cadillac, you can shop your way and get a piece of luxury you deserve. Stop by and test drive one today. Jazz and the Hornets tonight. Rick Bennell covers the Hornets for the Charlotte Observer. He'll join us here in a few minutes. PK, we got the question of the day up. The near full strength Clippers beat the Jazz. Who's among the told you so crowd? Kyle says, well, the Jazz beat the full strength Clippers team on New Year's Day at home. It would be a close and great series if the Jazz meet the Clips. Sounds like a safe assumption. A close and great series. Although, really, it'll only be a great series for Jazz fans if the Jazz end up winning said series. 
No, I think it could be a great series even if you lose. But if you're a fan, obviously that's all you care about is winning. So I understand that. Yeah, the way I look at this, if these two, these two teams should play in the postseason, I don't think anybody's sweeping the other guy. So obviously there's going to be losses involved if there's no sweep. And yeah, early in the season, uh, teams, the Jazz weren't really what they what they are. You know, what they start, 4-4, four and four, I think, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly. So... Uh, it was a little bit of a slow start. It's a quick slow start. I mean, it didn't extend. You know, normally you consider a start of you know ten, fifteen, twenty games, and they took off from the point of being four and four, and have obviously only had two losses since. So, uh, in this run is when they captured the uh, attention at four and four. They weren't capturing anybody's attention. So I think there's some people who think, well, yeah, they got the Clippers on uh, what was it Wednesday. But their big dogs were out, and then they come back. And it was clear the Clippers were jacked for that game. I don't think there's any question. National television and all that on a Friday night in the winter when uh, half the country is freezing its butt off. So I don't know what the numbers were, but I imagine they were pretty good uh, as far as all that. So clearly the Clippers were hyped for the game because then they lose the next night against – two nights later last night against Miami – Sort of not that they fell flat, but they did lose. And and Clippers made some plays that the Jazz need to go and look at and make sure it doesn't happen. And one thing that concerns me is the Clippers out rebounding the Jazz and then getting eleven offensive boards to the Jazz is only six. I think that was a little bit of a problem there. And then again too, we have Joe coming off the bench and not nearly the factor that he was when he was starting in those six games. Uh, that uh, Conley was out. Joe's, I think he's had four games where he scored at least 20 points, and three of them came. Well, actually, I think all four of them have come when Conley's, or no, three came when Conley was out, one came when Mitchell was out. So does it come down to he's starting, or it comes down to instead of the ball handling duties getting split three ways, they're getting two ways, and he's getting a lot higher percentage of the usage, and he gets into the flow, and he gets going. As opposed to now he's standing over in the corner as a decoy and he doesn't get the ball because nobody's leaving him. And so other guys are playing two and two and three on three on the other half of the court. Yeah, and it's only one game, so uh, they got plenty of time to figure it out starting tonight against Charlotte. DJ PK, time to bring in Rick Benelli. He covers the Charlotte Hornets in the NBA for the Charlotte Observer. Rick, good morning. Hi, guys. How are you? Good. Good. Well... Jazz fans are uh, are great, but you know they're not in the mood for back to back losses. They haven't had to deal with that in a while, and they don't want to deal with it now. So I suppose the question is, what kind of threat are the Charlotte Hornets? How much better are they looking as of late? Well, first off, guys, I will tell you. I, it's funny. I was having this conversation just the other day with Tim Bontemps from ESPN. We were comparing notes about this. The Hornets, coincidentally. They played the Sixers and the Jazz in back-to-back home games recently. So what I'm saying is I got a first-hand look at arguably the two best teams in the league, you know, in, in consecutive games. I thought the Jazz were a, were a significantly more complete team than the Sixers are. And that's not a knock on the Sixers. I'm saying that the Jazz has that real rarity right now of being exceptional at both ends of the floor. It's not a coincidence. It's not a it's not one of those weird number things that don't, aren't really relevant that they're top 5 in the league in both offensive and defensive efficiency. They've got a lot of you know they've got a lot of weapons. Quinn is doing an exceptional job of coaching that team 
um, they're built to win, and I don't think this is going away. So, Rick, and in full disclosure, I'm not watching the Hornets a ton, but I did watch them when they played the Jazz that you speak of in that game. And, you know, that was my first extensive rather than just highlight look at LaMelo Ball. And I thought, man, he obviously was awesome. Evaluate his progression for what he's been able to do so far as he's moved along his rookie season. And I believe he was coming off the bench earlier in the season and is now a starter. Everybody knew that he was going to be a, a you know, an impact passer right away. Um, initially, it was a surprise what a good rebounder he was. And the Hornets really need that. I mean, if you asked me um, at the end of last season, what is the what is the incredibly damning flaw about this team? Um, they have been last in the NBA in defensive rebound percentage in a really bad way. It's just so hard to be a good defensive team if you can't get the ball back at the end of at the end of a stop. Um, LaMelo has been a much better rebounder than I think anybody could have anticipated. But the shocking thing is that in the last 10, 12 games, he's making threes. Um, nobody would teach somebody else to, th- to shoot the ball the way he does. Mechanically, it's flawed, but it goes through, and that's what matters. So a losing record, but 7-4 and four in the last 11 games, beating Miami and Milwaukee, some... Some nice wins mixed in there. Are they really figuring something out and taking a step forward here? You know, guys, um, it is. It was easily argued at the last, at the end of last season, that the Hornets had the least collective talent in the league. They had some interesting young pieces, but at the end of the day, you know, um, if Devontae Graham and PJ Washington are the two best players on your roster, then it's really hard to imagine you either advancing deep into the playoffs. That's not a knock on those guys. They're good players. But the Hornets had a, had a dramatic need to upgrade the general base of their talent at anywhere. Um, you guys know this person better than anybody. Um, Gordon Hayward the Hornets never thought they were going to have a shot at signing him. They did. Um, Gordon had immediately became the best player on this team. Um, he hasn't necessarily performed as the best player on this team, but he's more Utah um, Gordon than um, Boston um, Gordon in the sense that he's getting to the foul line again. I thought after the injury, um, the biggest effect that had on Gordon was thought he got a little bit timid about going to the rim and his free throw attempts are significantly up he said that he was coming here not just for the money because but because he wanted to demonstrate that he could be the best player on a decent team he has done that um hayward and ball dramatically raised the floor of this team as far as collective talent but the other thing that has happened quite lately is Terry Rozier is just going out of his mind. He is a guy in the last four games, he's averaging 36 points and gets this shooting 59% from three, including a buzzer beater um, at, you know, um, Saturday night against the Warriors. So that's Saturday. Oh, go ahead. 
We saw that Saturday. I mean, Rozier, that was spectacular. <laughs> Particularly that shot. There's no question he was absolutely awesome. Uh, and so, you know, it's clear to see those three guys at the top that you mentioned, Hayward, Rozier, and Ball, they're all decent, especially when you consider Ball's only 19 years of age. Wow, looks like he's got a very high ceiling. But can you tell us about the big man? At least from a distance, it looks like that might be a little bit of a weakness. Cody Zeller is having a good season, and I think that they will re-sign him. Um, I will say, I'm saying this with a high degree of confidence, that had the Hornets um, had the number one pick, they would have taken James Wiseman because of his really high potential and the fact that they really need to do something about um, you know about, about their situation at center. Um, the Hornets have sort of cobbled together a situation where you know Cody starts. Um, Bismarck Biombo, who was at the tail end of his career, had to fill in for a month when Cody had a broken hand. And they play a lot of small ball with P.J. Washington at center. Um, it's awfully hard to play small ball against the Utah Jazz. I think you know the reason why is pretty obvious. Um, but but you're absolutely right that if the Hornets could do something um, it, in, in the short run. It would very clearly be do something about their interior. They, they're, they're guard heavy. They're actually going to have some cap room, aren't they? I mean, there'll be a chance to do it. Uh, yeah. Um, even with all the extreme things they had to do to, to sign Hayward. With, and, and remember, it was extreme. It wasn't just how much money they offered him. They, he's making... 120 million over four seasons, but they had to stretch um, the last season on Nick Batum's contract. It, according to Bobby Marks, it is the most extreme thing anybody's ever done as far as stretching a contract. Um, but even with having done all that, they're still going to have, you know, in the vicinity of 20 million dollars under the cap next summer. So we all know when Gordon left the Jazz, he was an all-star, right? I mean, that, that's just a fact. And the team looked like it was on the come, and, and then they got fortunate to, to pick up Mitchell and the way they've gone here, and now they're on top of the standings right now as we speak. And we understand the situation in Boston. You know, he breaks his, what was it, leg or ankle, whatever it was, like two minutes into the game, and then Tatum and Brown develop, and three years later he leaves. Now, I don't know if you can get this opportunity this year with everything being on Zoom and all, but he has he talked much about publicly for the folks in Charlotte about his experience with the Jazz? No, that's just that's such ancient history that it never really came up. I, I think I think when I did my long interview with him, the only the only the only area where it came up was kind of what I mentioned before that. You know, I asked him, I said, it seems like free throw attempts are a really important aspect of your game. Do you think you can get back to being Utah Jazz Gordon? And it's obvious from his performance that he's he's healthy again, and that matters. Frankly, the most interesting thing I find found out about Gordon, um, I'm, I'm really lucky that um, um, Ron Norad, um, an assistant coach for the Hornets, was Gordon's point guard at Butler. And Ron was just incredibly open in talking about what you need to understand about Gordon Hayward is he was an engineering major at at Butler. He has that kind of a mind as far as problem solving. I thought 
Ron put it so well when he said, you don't want to think of Gordon as a scorer. You don't want to think of Gordon as a passer. What you want to think of him about is a decision maker, that he's going to look at things, size, size up what a defense is doing, and whether he takes a shot or makes a pass, he's going to find a way to, to break down that defense on a very sophisticated intellectual level. I have absolutely found that to be the case. The Hornets had all kinds of problems in the past with late game, um, you know, with, with, with late and shot clock situations, and Gordon has improved them significantly in that way. Again, in the Zoom era, maybe you're not around, guys. You don't see him in the locker room and all that. Is he? I hate that, by the way. It's the hardest part of my job <laughs> is not having you know natural organic interaction with players anymore. Right. So, is it hard to see if he's really? bonding with the team or I mean can kind of be a little aloof at times kind of separate from the guys how's that working out yeah like you said it's so hard for me to judge I I would definitely agree with you that what makes Gordon a little bit different in terms of sensibility and and is I don't think that basketball you know just is, is like dominates his identity his personality you know, he's such a family man. He he wants to be home with four kids. And and I and I agree with you that most most professional athletes think of themselves as a professional athlete first and everything else in their lives second. And I don't think that's ever been Gordon's priority and, and, and to be all to be honest, maybe this says something about where I am in life. I think it's a really healthy thing as opposed to some sort of shortcoming. So right now, the Hornets, with their surge, have moved themselves into the playoffs. It doesn't begin, obviously, now. But when we get to the end of the season, where do you see the Hornets stacking up in the Eastern Conference? You know, the Jazz don't need to worry about this because they're so good. But the way that the NBA dynamic has changed this season is that, you know, before you were worried about making sure that you you were top eight. Now you really want to make sure that you don't fall from six to seven because seven through ten means you're, you know, you're, you're in that sort of, you know, one off, you know, playing, you know, thing before you get into the main draw um, of the playoffs. And I was thinking about this just last night um, in the East where things are so bunched up right now. Uh, the difference between the sixth best team in the East and the 11th best team in the East may be very small, but in terms of, of stakes and consequences for the season, it's massive. Um, I'd be surprised if the Hornets at the end of the season were one of the top six teams in the East. I think that in all likelihood, um, they're going to, you know, they, they, they're what they're going to be shooting for is to be, you know, one of those four teams that gets into a playoff situation for the right to, um, to play in a seven-game first-round series. That by itself would be progress because one of the little things that is that this team needs to overcome is there's next to nobody on this team, you know, other than the people we've we've been talked about who were fired off other rosters. Other than Gordon and and Terry Rozier, there's next to nobody on this team with any real playoff experience. Those kids who are their future, um, them participating in the in the pressure situation that is the playoffs is something they absolutely got to do, and that that needs to start sooner than later. 
So when the Jazz played the Hornets a couple weeks ago, the Jazz went 26 of 50 from the three-point line. Uh, Does the defensive strategy change? Does the execution change? Do they stay close to shooters, or do the Jazz get 50 three-pointers, many of them very good looks? Because if they do, then we know how this game goes. Um, You know, there are four teams this season that are on track to give up more threes than anybody in any previous NBA um, season, and one of those is the Hornets. Um, some of this is intentional. Um, Borrego, who came from the Spurs organization where, you know, a very, you know, savvy veteran team, they were able to, to you know, to guard both the post and the, and the three-point line with a level of, of, a, of you know, competence. After two seasons here, JB made a made a conscious decision in the off season that he had to prioritize one over the other, and so they went into this season with it with a defensive approach that, come hell or high water, they were going to guard the post this season, and that doesn't mean that they're just ignoring the three point line, but much in the same way that Eric Spolster is doing down in Miami, um, he's willing to give up some threes in order to make sure that they don't just you know give up sixty points in the paint. My point is there are four times this season already when they've given up 20 or more threes. If if the Jazz are making threes tonight, they're going to do it in volume because it's inevitable the way the Hornets guard. Rick, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on and, and talking a little NBA basketball with us. Absolutely, guys. You guys have a great day. Rick Bunnell covers the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA for the Charlotte Observer. It's the way they defend. It's inevitable. So, saddle up at 7 o'clock and get ready to see some three-pointers, people. Okay. I'll do it. I thought you might. I thought there was a pretty good chance, actually. 100%. (laughs) I know, right? What else would you be doing? Uh, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, is going to join us in about 20 minutes. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Greg Rubel, voice of the Cougars. Always a pleasure to catch up with you, Greg. Thanks for your time and look forward to catch up again here very soon. Yeah, uh, where are you, by the way, Scotty? Did you go to Boise last night or what was the deal there? Yeah, I am in Boise. When I left for practice last night, it was about a two-point game, maybe ten minutes to go up at Boise State. So Boise takes a, a bit of a lead in the race for the conference crown with that win last night, right? <laughs> Was he dumping salt on the Snell a bit? or? Oh, I don't think so. Oh, okay. They lost last night, huh? So kind of relive that pain from last night. How did that go? I can't imagine there was any kind of salt being poured in the wound. <laughs> so Boise takes uh, a bit of a lead in the race for the conference crown with that win last night, right? Okay, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Mark Miller Subaru. Question of the day. The Jazz lose to the Clippers. Clippers had their stars back. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. So who among you is in the I told you so crowd? Darren says Jazz played a good game. Clippers were hot. They're 11-2 with that starting lineup. Nothing to be concerned with. Wouldn't you be concerned with that starting lineup being 11-2? Clippers' overall record isn't as good, but they've been missing Kawhi Leonard and Paul George for about a dozen games, and they're pretty mediocre without them. But when they have those guys, they're pretty good. Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, they've got all sorts of talent. 
I mean, long, athletic, can shoot, got some ball hawkers defensively, got an, enough decent big men. That's not the strength of their team, but, you know, they're decent in that way. They can play some ball for you. So they've got a lot of talent on that team. I think they're 6-6 six and six when they're missing those, those, uh, those top two guys, uh, one or the other of them or both of them. So they're basically winning at the same clip as the Jazz, 80% when they have their guys. Now, will they have their guys in the playoffs? That remains to be seen. The playoffs can be a different beast, but you split two games head-to-head when you're full strength, and you basically got the same record. So I think there's something to be worried about. Concerned with. He used the word concern, not worried, which would be a better way of putting it. You don't have to worry. You're not at a disadvantage, but you're not at a clear advantage either. You know, the Hornets game tonight, the Hornets are, they really are the middle of the league. And so the Jazz have separated themselves from the middle of the league. I would think most Jazz fans are very confident going into tonight's game. But the Clippers, the Lakers, and with the way the Nets sure. are going and the fact the Jazz already lost the Nets in Brooklyn, you know, those teams have also separated themselves from the middle of the league. I would think the concern with those teams would be much higher. Yeah, I, I can agree with that, although on any given game, this is the yep. NBA, and they've got players. Mm-hmm. And Charlotte does have three nice players at the top of their roster right now. And and so they're capable of winning any given game that they play. It's, if you're off and they're on, it can happen. You know, Obviously, they're not as good over the course, in this case, 72. We understand that. So I don't think tonight is a given, but at the same time, the Jazz should win. But it's not it just show up. It's way more than that. Uh, as far as the Clippers go, uh, I would be concerned, minimum. Uh, it's not going to be a walk in the park. You play these guys. No one's sweeping the other guy. And I couldn't tell you who's going to win. I don't have to tell you right now who I think would win. It doesn't matter right now. It matters if it comes to pass at that point in the spring. And we'll see if and when that occurs at that time. But they're a team that you have to keep your eye on. I mean, Kawhi Leonard is a premier player. This is nothing new. This is all obvious here. Uh, so, in the Jazz, it's just, I've been fascinated, and normally I'm not like this in terms of, it's not that I care what Joe Blow or Mary Jane from whatever network, uh, wherever they're based, thinks. I don't really necessarily care or base my opinion on it. But at the same time, the Jazz, it's been a long time since they've gone 19-1 and and all that stuff. So we didn't expect them to be that good. So I've been in a situation where I've been listening to NBA radio. I've been watching more of this stuff than I normally do because the Jazz are a topic, and I think I've seen a reluctance to make them at the level that they are. And obviously, if it would have been Brooklyn in this case or the Lakers or whomever, you know, from the bigger, more popular, and I understand they have to play the hits and appeal to the most – widest audience out there and we're not the biggest widest audience so there has been that reluctance and you you know we talk about you listen to pti if i hear about bradley beal one more time i'm gonna go crazy (laughs) he's a nice player but they suck and so like to the extent of you're ignoring the jazz so i have and i've been here enough now 
that whether I like it or not, this community is a part of me. And so I want to hear what they say. And there has been that reluctance. So I think we're going to hear some stuff now. Oh, yeah, well, they had the big game and they lost. Is it fair? Not necessarily, but I don't want to hear about fairness. Childhood, child cancer is not fair. So, I mean, come on, forget about fairness. I don't know that there's any such thing. It's a word, but it has no applicable meaning because what's fair and what isn't fair. It's like the political situation. You're, you're a hypocrite. No, you're a hypocrite. You just go back and forth with that until my eyes spin. I get sick of it. So I still think that they're going to look at, well, they had that opportunity and they couldn't get it done. So there's going to be a fair amount of people who said, see, I told you. Is it fair? No. But does it matter? No, in the same breath, too. It's all interesting for the discussion because that's really all we have because nothing can be settled in the NBA in the last week of February. Hmm. Nope, not a thing. Brad, however, takes that perspective and says, you know, we know the Jazz aren't going to win every game, but if the Jazz win roughly nine out of every ten games, I'm going to take that all season long. So is every team. Hard to argue with that, right? Since nobody wins 90% of the games in the NBA. It would have been nice, though, if they would have answered the Clippers' full strength, answered the Clippers' emotional readiness for that game. It's like the Clippers had to win that game, really. Maybe the Jazz didn't have to. I mean, neither team had to when you boil it down. But it's like, well, you got your guys back, and they're rested, too. They haven't played in a bit. And they got the job done. As, as I look at it from the Jazz perspective, the rebounding situation concerned me a little bit. They got out-rebounded. I didn't necessarily expect that. And the Donovan Mitchell thing is just an interesting, I don't know what you would call it, situation maybe. Trend. How he starts yeah. slow and then just turns it on to the level of, wow, man, he's a stud when he turns it on. What's going on there that can allow him maybe to have a better start? Uh, if you can combine the finish with a better start, <laughs> well, then well, he's you'd a have top a five player in the <laughs> league. Yeah, then you have Steph Curry and LeBron, right? He had, uh, what do you have, 35 points, six at half, 29 in the second half. And obviously in this one game, the fouls were a factor because he had two pretty early. And, and, and he said afterwards, and he basically changed the way he played to make sure he didn't get in foul trouble, wasn't as aggressive. So in this one game, you can say it, but it's like you say, this is a trend that isn't even a season-long trend. You know, this has been going on throughout his career. This happened last year. This happened two years ago. So how does he have a better first half so maybe they don't dig a 15-point hole to try to dig out of? Which isn't, you know, and they've done it against other teams, but it's going to be a little harder to do against one of the best teams in the league, as they found out with the Clippers. So Yeah, one of the things, the league needs to change this stupid foul thing. Come up with penalty shots if you hit, if you hit six fouls or what, but have to go to the bench. It's just absolutely ridiculous. I, I just don't understand it, why that doesn't change. Why should a, a player like Donovan Mitchell be saddled with foul trouble to the point they've got to take him out? If it's his normal rest rotation, that's one thing. But he can't play because he has two fouls. And either give him more fouls or don't have uh, disqualification as the penalty. Bring back three to make two. Remember that? And in the bonus, it'll be three to make two. Whatever. There's a number of things. Uh but I think he has a chance to go down as the most clutch jazz player ever. Now he's got to do it in the postseason. But that fourth quarter the other night was just absolutely brilliant. A couple of those three-pointers he threw in late, highly unlikely, and yet they went in anyway. Yeah. 
All right, DJ and PK, coming back with Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Stay with us.